don't you blame the movies? Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 72. It's the first episode of October. Hey. Well, this o- 2023 October. Yeah. And uh, we're kicking off the month of spookiness with a haunted tale. I fucking hate those things. Okay. God damn it. I was... I was just going to say a haunted tale as decided by the people of Instagram. And when I had those polls up on Instagram, there was one day where I hadn't like republished the poll. And you're like, oh, fuck, I didn't get a chance to vote. I want haunted places. And I was like, <laughs> I'm putting it up again. Don't worry. So you're a liar. Yeah. Haunted places was voted for the most. And then the second most voted was just classic true crime. So October will have two haunted tales two gruesome true crime cases and to end the month page we'll be here to do some folklore i believe all right we were talking about like when she'll be on and what she should do and i believe she said she was leaning into some folklore so yeah that's five five mondays in october again this year so five spooky episodes all right so, uh, yeah, that's what we have in store for you for October. Now let's get into today's tale. And I think this will be a little bit of a long episode. So we're just going to go right into what I'm going to tell you about, which is the weird experiences that the Herman family had in 1958. Their strange and inexplicable haunting catapulted them into the limelight after Life magazine published an article written by Robert Wallace. The article talked about what the Hermans were experiencing and the steps they took to try and figure out what was going on in their home. So that's that's what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with the Hermans. The Hermans. Mr. and Mrs. Herman. And that's what I'll be calling them. Oh, okay. Because, okay, I'll, I'll, you'll see. <laughs> Mr. Herman is her man, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I laughed too hard at that. So our story takes place in the town of Seaford, which is a suburb of Long Island, about 30 miles from New York City, in the home of the Herman family. Mm. Their home, which is a white and green ranch-style home located at 1648 Redwood Path, is a typical suburban residence in the, quote, housing development style. In a quiet, conservative neighborhood with public parks and tree-lined streets. The Hermans bought their home when it was new in 1953, and it contained three bedrooms, a bathroom, a kitchen, a small living room, and a, and a small dining room. All on one floor, so it's just this cozy little bungalow. And then there was a basement which had two rooms, one for utilities and the other a playroom. So that's the house. And the Hermans themselves are, by all accounts, an all-American devout Catholic family consisting of parents 43-year-old James and 38-year-old Lucille, and their two children, 13-year-old Lucille and 12-year-old James Jr. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I will be calling Mr. Herman, Mrs. Herman, and if I say Lucille or James, that's the children. Okay. Because it's literally James, James, Lucille, and Lucille. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, real original. (laughs) 
Mr. Herman worked for Air France in its New York office, and he was described as a calm and hard-headed individual. Mrs. Herman was a non-practicing registered nurse, and she was described as a practical, intelligent, quiet woman. So because they are both logical, pragmatic, reasonable people, the events that were about to occur left them more in shock and amazement than in fear. Ah. It's Monday, February 3rd, 1958. The weather is cold and clear. The temperature is 29 degrees Fahrenheit or minus one degree Celsius, and the relative humidity is 43%. For reference, according to How Stuff Works, a relative humidity level of 30 to 50% is normal, but in the winter it should be closer to 30, and in the summer it should be closer to 50. So at 43%, it was a pretty humid day for winter. Mm-hmm. It's 3.30 p.m. in the Herman house, and James and Lucille just returned home from school. Mrs. Herman was there to greet her children and was in the early stages of preparing dinner. They were all in the kitchen when they heard the first of many strange occurrences. In a matter of moments, a number of bottles containing various liquids quickly popped. Every bottle in the kitchen, milk, ketchup, liquid starch, popped their caps and began to spray their contents into the air. The popping was loud, sounding somewhat like the popping of champagne corks, and it was heard all over the house. And as the family began inspecting the various rooms of the house, they discovered it wasn't only crimp-capped or corked bottles, even bleach bottles with screw tops or of metal or plastic, which uses like multiple rotations to open and close, mm-hmm. had popped open in the basement. What the fuck? I know. Mrs. Herman went into her bedroom and found her bottle of holy water was uncapped and tipped over, spilling it, spilling its contents onto her dresser. Like I said, they're devout Catholics, so right. it's not really that yeah. weird, I guess. She's got a little bottle of holy water. <laughs> a bottle of shampoo and a bottle of medicine had popped open in the bathroom. So basically, multiple bottles in every room of their house had popped open and spilled or sprayed everywhere simultaneously. That's not only scary, that's so irritating. I was thinking that too. Like, I'd be so pit, like... Because it's so messy. Yeah, like, great, now I gotta clean this. This is so fucked in every single room. And it's stuff that you need, like, your milk, your ketchup, medicine, shampoo. Like, it's now everywhere. A lot of that's just gonna stink after a while, too. <laughs> I hope you clean it well. Imagine having, like, 30 cats and, like, 10 in each room just decided to puke. Like that's the level of annoyance i would have with this <laughs> it would be more irritating than anything yeah and it, and then you would already be like extra irritable because you're just going about your routine and everything's pretty quiet and then all of a sudden you hear like i don't know up to like over 10 bottles just popping really loud you'd be like what the fuck yeah i imagine the shock wears off at a certain point and then you're just like motherfucker what a mess <laughs> So I emphasized that they heard the um, first of many occurrences because the Life magazine article says that none of the Hermans actually saw any of the bottles move or tip over or anything on this first occurrence. 
but they all heard the popping sounds around the house. And then they had gone and inspected each room. They discovered that the bottles had been freshly spilled. So they ruled out like an intruder or some sort of prank where someone had tipped them over earlier in the day, leaving the mess behind. Mm -hmm. And then just like a side note, like even if it was an intruder or a prank, like what a weird thing to do. Super fucking odd. To spill and spray bottles everywhere. Yeah, like that would just be like, why? Yeah, I guess just because it would be irritating. Asshole. None of the bottles contained a carbonated liquid, although some, like the starch, the bleach, medicine, they did contain fluids which might have generated gas or some sort of thing like that under some conditions. But so for the like, holy water was gaseous. Yeah, exactly. For for <laughs> liquids like shampoo, milk, ketchup, holy water, like there isn't any reason that they should pop or explode open. Sorry, my my holy water fermented on me. Right. <laughs> Then he would be like, this isn't holy water. I have a holy wardrobe now. What's up? <laughs> ha, I get it. <laughs> As I mentioned, the family, especially Mr. and Mrs. Herman, they were very practical, reasonable people. So their reaction wasn't to be afraid. They were just more confused and amazed as they tried to figure out what happened. Mrs. Herman decided to call her husband at work asking, quote, what is going on around here? And he responded, I'm 35 miles away, dear. How should I know what's going on around there? <laughs> Mrs. Herman explained what happened and her husband said, quote, well, as long as no one has been hurt and no great damage done, I won't come home early. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he meant it. Yeah. He did not come home early. He took his usual commuter's, commuter's train and during his commute, he sort of like pondered his wife's call and what she had told him mm -hmm. and he was like certain that he had a solution for the, this mystery he believed that some sort of chemical reaction in the products or excessive humidity in the house had caused the bottle lids to blow and the fact that they did so at the same time was merely a coincidence you know for a pragmatic person that's a pretty crap explanation <laughs> they all all these random things had a, a reaction because it was hu more humid than it should have been it's like, so, it's the humidity index, 43%. Answer right there. Sir, what do you think is the universal ingredient <laughs> to all of these bottles? Like, what? ah, oh, yes. Mm. Water <laughs> explodes at humidity levels above 42. Like, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> He thought that was it, though. Well, and it was a coincidence that it was all at the same time, okay? Don't even worry about it. Mr. Yeah. Herman is on the case. So he arrived home at around 7 p.m. and investigated the bottles. And we saw for himself that some of them were those screw top lids. He was kind of baffled by that because he's like, okay, well, if this is like screwed multiple times tightly, that is definitely weird. Yeah. He wasn't too baffled, though, because he, his wife and the children, they recovered pretty quickly from their amazement. They cleaned up the messes and they were prepared to forget about the weird occurrence altogether. Uh, just sort of writing the experience off as, quote, just one of those funny things. Mm, okay. One of those silly little I've, popping incidences. I feel like the dad was just like, if he was really pragmatic, I feel like that initial explanation was bullshit. And he was like, fucking kids and mother fucking somehow made a huge mess and just came up with this dog shit excuse and I have to run with it. Because I'm too tired for this. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. That is exactly what he was thinking. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So the next day, Tuesday, February 4th, nothing odd occurred in the Herman house. Same for Wednesday. But by Thursday morning, the odd events of Monday had pretty much faded from their minds. 
when at approximately the same time in the afternoon, 3.30 p.m., the same with the same people present, six bottles in various parts of the house loudly popped their caps and tumbled about. So these six bottles were all fairly different. There was a bottle of nail polish, rubbing alcohol, bleach, detergent, starch, and that same bottle that contained the holy water. Mm. So they're all really random. Yeah, imagine if bleach could just erupt on you. No, that'd be awful. Like just the fucking lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened again the next day. So Friday, February 7th. And again, around the same time with the same people present. Mr. Herman began to suspect the culprit was his science-loving son, who was somehow rigging the bottles to pop in order to scare the family. So you were right on the money with that. <laughs> he thought that perhaps his son had planted some sort of carbonated capsules inside the bottles and timed it so that he could get home from school in time to see the startled expression on his mom's face. Oh my god. <laughs> He's convinced his kid's a little shit. Like, yes. Dennis the Menace just... <laughs> on roids what kind of carbonated capsules would this even be like what are you putting a mentos in a diet coke bottle <laughs> <laughs> so as mr herman developed this theory he spent the weekend secretly observing james he was determined to catch him in the act of tampering with a bottle finally on the morning of sunday february 9th mr herman experienced the phenomena for himself because remember this was all happening during the week when mr herman was at work he hadn't seen anything yet mm-hmm the holy water bottle popped open again, along with bottles of starch and turpentine that popped so abruptly they were left rocking back and forth on the shelves. Mr. Herman had kept a close eye on James, so when did he have the chance to put something inside of the bottles without him seeing it? Feeling confused and irritated at this point, Mr. Herman burst into the bathroom as James was brushing his teeth. As he stood in the doorway, he accused James of tampering with the bottles and rigging them to pop. And James was vehemently denying this. Mm -hmm. He was like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm just as confused as everyone. I did not do this. Yeah. And as if to prove the point, a bottle of medicine quietly moved 18 inches in a southerly direction across a dead level sink top and fell into the sink. A moment later, a bottle of shampoo moved 12 inches in a westerly direction across the same sink top and fell to the floor. So Mr. Herman stood there just wide-eyed and amazed. No human hand had been near the bottles, and there was nothing in the bathroom that could have propelled them like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's still a little bit skeptical, so Mr. Herman immediately examines the bathroom. He's searching for any hidden wires or strings or anything, and he found nothing. So he finally accepted that there were definitely things going on in this house that he could not explain. Yeah, that'd be so unnerving. Yeah. Because then you'd feel like it like is understanding and watching you. If it's proving that point, it's not just being like a like residual effect of something. It's literally like engaging with you right now. Yeah, it's like, oh, you think that your son did it? Okay, I'll hear your argument. Nah, I don't like that. <laughs> and then <laughs> let's move these this medicine bottle and shampoo bottle. <laughs> Not knowing what else to do and now believing whatever was happening couldn't be a prank by his son, Mr. Herman called the police. The call was answered by the desk officer, Lieutenant E. Richardson, and Mr. Herman spent several minutes trying to get Lieutenant Richardson to take him seriously. Yeah. <laughs> when he heard the story, Richardson accused Mr. Herman of either playing a weird practical joke or just like drinking too much. But. Ghosts wrecked your house he's like what do you mean popping 
<laughs> and moving. So he was soon swayed, though, by Mr. Herman's earnest tone. And Lieutenant Richardson promised to send someone out there to, like, investigate, talk to them, whatever. Patrolman James Hughes of the Nassau County Police was tasked with responding to the call, and he approached the assignment with the, quote, weary skepticism of a man who has often been summoned to arrest a three-headed Martian in the attic and found a mouse in the cellar. Wow. <laughs> Love that description. That's why I had to just do it, like, verbatim, quote. <laughs> <laughs> but even though he was skeptical, he was still polite. Mr. Herman was a respected member of the community. He did not have a record of any sort, not a record for making, quote, screwball complaints. And he was a reserve captain in the police department. So Patrol Hughes was taking him pretty seriously or as seriously as he could be taken because it's a really weird story. Yeah. Hughes got to the Herman house. Everyone gathered in the living room and Hughes began asking questions. And as they spoke, bottles were heard popping in the bathroom. So he's just like, oh, this is happening in real time. And he gets up and he goes to check it out in the bathroom. And then a bottle just flew at him. Uh. So he was like, okay, huh. something is happening. He returns to the station house, believing something is definitely wrong in the Herman house. But what exactly is wrong? He has no idea. Mm. And he's like, this is completely out of my hands here. Like, I'm just the basically responding officer. Yeah, so how do, you, how do you arrest a ghost for, for disturbing the peace, assaulting a peace officer? <laughs> <laughs> so the Nassau County Police assigned 32 year old detective Joseph Tazi to the case. So Tazi was perfect for the job. He was a, quote, sharp and pleasantly cynical mind. Sorry, he has a, quote, sharp and pleasantly cynical mind and is a keen observer of detail. Unquote. Pleasantly cynical. It was his belief that if the bottles were indeed moving, they were being moved by someone in the house, either directly or by, quote, means of contrivance. So some sort of little prankster mm -hmm. rigging something. And then, he, and then he goes on the same tangent about the sun and the capsules. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeps happening. James is like, what the fuck? I didn't do anything. He also considered... Uh, Detective Tazi also considered the possibilities that the family was hallucinating, or this could be a straight-up hoax. Yeah, it's always in the back of my head with weird mm -hmm. shit that people see is, like, it's stuff you don't expect. Like, for example, there's, like, stories out there of people hallucinating or thinking that there's, like, ghosts in their, like, apartment or something or shit's moving around, mm -hmm. and it turns out they were actually getting bit by bedbugs. Ew! Yeah, and it has some sort of, like, at a prolonged point you lose cognitive capacity and you'll like come back into your apartment and everything's moved around and completely forget that you did that. Okay. Earlier. But how many times do you have to get bit by a bed bug for that to happen? I'm guessing a lot. And like also, ew, how do you not notice one, you have bed bugs and two, you're covered in bed bug bites. Yeah. So like, that's still really creepy, but also I'm like, ew, you're a grub. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so gross, but you're, at the same time, you're like, oh, man, could you imagine if you hadn't clued into the bed bug thing? Like, how fucking scary that would be? It would be really creepy. And then finding out it's bed bugs is just as scary to me. Yeah. And then my mind was just going to one of our very, very early episodes, The Bedroom Strangler, where mm -hmm. he was, like, trying to basically contain the monster. So he would move stuff around in his own apartment to, like, try and stop himself from leaving. 
Oh, right. Yeah. And I'm like, ew. <laughs> really creepy. Maybe he was being bit by bed bugs. Ew. Did anyone check Russell Johnson's ankles? <laughs> <laughs> I think his name was Russell Johnson. That was literally episode four. We're on episode 72. Yeah. And that's like not counting two parters or anything like that. Exactly. Yep. We're over 100 actually episodes technically. Oh, damn. Because Podbean sent an uh, email that was like, congratulations on your 100th episode. And it was like, download your badge. Oh. And I meant to like do something with it and I didn't. <laughs> probably what like 99% of podcasters do when they get that email. <laughs> I will publish it now that I've mentioned it. Hmm. To prove my point. <laughs> Just got really mad for no reason. So on February 11th, Detective Tazi began his vigil at the Herman House. While no one was in the room, a perfume bottle on Lucille's dresser popped open, tipped over, and spilled. On February 13th, the bottle of holy water on the Herman's Bureau tipped over for the third time. Now, how many how many times can you keep going back to refill your bottle of holy water before the priest starts asking questions? Yeah, like, are you drinking this or something? Yeah, are you drinking this? Like, this is a lot of holy water, and I only have so much capacity to bless. Yeah. <laughs> Again, no one was in the room. When this happened for the third time, on the afternoon of February 15th, a fourth time, the holy water bottle spilled. Rude. Dashing into the room, Mr. Herman picked it up and found it was warm to the touch. He hurried through the house, feeling all of the bottles he could find. None of them were warm, nor was any of them, including the holy water bottle, warm again. So it was just something really random where this one time the holy, holy water bottle... Why is it hard to say? Holy water bottle? The holy water bottle was just like kind of hot. Yeah, probably like boiled to pop. It's creepy. Yeah. On the evening of February 15th, so the same day that the holy water was hot, at about 7.45 p.m., the Herman children and their middle-aged second cousin, Marie Mirtha. I don't know why they had to be so specific. Oh, my God. Maybe middle aged because she's an adult. We gotta do her dirty like that too. Like middle aged is how we're just gonna describe her right off the bat. Well, I I thought it was funny when I was like researching, but now I'm saying it out loud, and I think maybe it's because it adds like credence because she's another adult. Yeah, it's not a child we're talking about. Yeah, it's not like three another actual witness. Yeah, it's not like three kids in a room. So maybe that's what it means. Uh, Herman children, Marie, Martha, they're in the living room watching TV. Suddenly, a porcelain figurine rose from an end table next to the couch, began to wiggle, shot three feet through the air, and dropped to the rug with a crash. Amazingly, the figurine did not break. Mm. Tazi observed the, that most of the disturbances had taken place along a line from the northeast to the southeast corner of the house. So he was thinking maybe a high-frequency radio transmission along this line had caused the motion somehow. He learned that there was a licensed ham radio operator living nearby, so Tazi went and questioned him, but quickly learned that that guy hadn't turned on his transmitter for three years, so that was ruled out. Well, can we also just rule out that shitty theory? <laughs> what the fuck? He's, he's, he's thinking of everything. Well, he's trying it. He's, he really is. He's putting his all into it, but like... I think it's in like a couple paragraphs, but, the, but he goes like all out. Like he tests everything. Yeah. So, yeah, not the ham radio guy. Ham? Not the ham. <laughs> not the ham radio guy. Set the ham thusly, please. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we finally did it. 
We finally snuck that RuPaul video into this fucking podcast. If anyone ever wants to see what the fuck we're talking about, um, turn all the lights off, usher the kids out the door, because this is going to get weird and a little spooky, and Google Pickle Surprise. RuPaul. <laughs> They're like, I'm not doing that. No. Like, Let's just post it without mm -hmm. context on our Instagram. And we'll just say, if you know, you know. Honestly, I didn't realize that was RuPaul, but that had been one of the first YouTube videos I had ever seen oh where, my like, God. my whole class, like, had this, had, like, one computer. Mm -hmm. it was, I don't know, it was probably, like, 2000. It was probably, like, 2000. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and we put it, when we were done playing with a little magnet button to reset the monitor. Oh, yeah. We would go to YouTube videos and someone put that on. You now I'm just wondering who that was. Yeah. Like, now YouTube I'm wondering, is from 2005. Now I'm wondering which kid that was that was so in touch to be like, I know all the best RuPaul videos. Pickle surprise. <laughs> Pickle surprise. I'm just going to post it on Instagram and just say, if you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the real ones know. <laughs> and then I go on and there's like 900 unfollows. <laughs> it took me how many? It took me probably two years of watching RuPaul with you. To realize that that was RuPaul in that video. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know either. I'd never even seen that video. Mm -hmm. But it was, it's very uh, John Waters. Yeah. Okay, so as devout Catholics, the Hermans believed, John Waters just got a star on the... Yeah, I was about to say. <sighs> yeah. Love Keep that. moving. We've been yelled Love at that for man. this. As devout Catholics, <laughs> the Hermans believed that the church could help them since ordinary methods had failed. So on February 17th, Father William McLeod of the Church of St. William the Abbot in Seaford came to the Hermans' house and told them to watch Pickle Surprise. <laughs> really? His St. Williams and the priest is William? Yeah, so Father William McLeod of the Church of St. William the Abbot. Good catch. I just sailed right by that. <laughs> so he came to the house and he blessed it. And there was some discussion of an exorcism, but this rite is rarely used and it has to be authorized by a bishop. And then. Yeah, the like diocese or something has to be like, oh, yes, we Archdiocese, yeah. Yeah. And then, then uh, it has to be performed by a priest of high spiritual order. Yeah. And it's usually performed, actually solely performed upon individuals rather than on houses or places thought to be possessed by evil so it wasn't performed i would i would like a news alert the moment that it gets approved for a house well when we did the hinsdale house that that guy came over and did a like semi-exorcism on the house mm, yeah that's true so like it happens but i just want it to be on tv okay yeah yeah i just you know i want a poltergeist spinoff for tv Okay, I that's think what I'm I think that that's that's a good, that's a good idea. It could be Father William McLeod of the Church of Saint William, the Abbot. All right, it's got a ring to it. It's got TV presence. There is a TV presence coming at you in a hot minute. Oh fuck! By this point, the odd activity had been occurring on and off for two weeks, and the family just started to name the weird activity Popper. So if like something would pop open or whatever, move, they would just be like, oh, Popper's back or something like that, you know? <laughs> oh, Popper. Fucking Popper. 
<laughs> News of the occurrences in the Herman's house had received a great deal of publicity and was being written in being written about in local newspapers and then word was traveling across the country and eventually articles were written in time and life magazines the hermans were receiving a large amount of letters and phone calls and during the day the house was crowded with nosy nellies huh. looky loos reporters photographers I almost said photographers photographers <laughs> and radio <videographers>. and <laughs> and radio and television men <laughs> there was no women allowed it's 1958 yeah. <laughs> among the early letters the family received were some reasonable suggestions 74 year old helen Connolly of revere massachusetts wrote to tell the hermans to take heart i had to google what to take heart means <laughs> i was like what does that mean it's like take solace it means gain courage or confidence because things will get better mm. So she said she had the same trouble in her house, but worse. There was tables, large upholstered easy chairs, and even an artificial fireplace that had gotten thrown clean across her living room. Oh, holy fuck. But the cause had been found and the occurrences halted. So the cause had been a downdraft in her chimney and the cure was a patented metal chimney cap. A patented metal chimney cap patented <laughs> so detective tazi interviewed helen Connolly over the phone and she, he concluded that she was like a reasonable person mm -hmm. she wasn't like as he would say a crackpot and decided to try her advice so mr herman agreed to give it a try the chimney cap was only nine dollars and a rotating metal turbine style cap was installed on the herman's chimney also, how violent was that woman's updraft, downdraft? Yeah, I'm just I mean. thinking about that. Like, how <laughs> fucking strong was that? That it was like f f sending chairs clean across the room. Maybe she lived in like the middle of nowhere. You know what, though? The house builder, whoever put that chimney together, probably proud as shit. That thing was <laughs> airtight. That thing just went right through and into the living room. <laughs> how much do you think $9 was? Uh, When was this again? 1958. Eight. The chimney cap was only nine dollars. Fifteen bucks. No, no. Oh, is it much more? Yeah, that's why it's funny. That's like it was only nine dollars. So let's do it. It's like, well, if someone was like, put it on. It's only ninety-five dollars and sixty-one cents. I would oh. be like, but times are tough. <laughs> yeah, well, nuclear families, man. It wasn't that tough for. Yep. People in nuclear fam men in nuclear families. <laughs> yeah, with a good job. Yeah. So, um, put this $9 rotating metal turbine style cap right on that chimney. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Those little, like, squished looking balls at the top of the thing. They're kind of spinning. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Like a little mini weather vane, but cooler. Here, let me, here, let me, um, pat, oh, patented metal. That's my favorite part. This <laughs> is a patented metal cap. Chimney. Chimnet? chimney cap these i'm not okay i'm gonna take patented out <laughs> <laughs> many examples take your pick chimney caps man oh yeah these okay. are modern ones yeah those are the the, the it's the funniest thing is the modern ones look like they're trying to be gothic ones they do they look like a 1920s haunted house mansion 
You're right. Yeah, okay. That's a 1958 one. Yeah, all right. So they... It's exactly what I was thinking about. People listening are like, we can't see anything you're doing. Man, think <laughs> of the shit, the weird metal things you see sticking out of chimneys. It's that. It's silver. It's, it's circular. Silver. It looks like a bird feeder. If it's a, if it looks like a fucking satellite dish, that's not what we're fucking talking about. That's a satellite dish. That's right. <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> some and- kid. Some kid is probably looking at like an old TV an- antenna, and he's like, "That must be a chimney cap." <laughs> Because they have no idea. It's like nowadays when you're like, I don't know, just use a payphone. Some kids are like, what's a payphone? Oh, my God. <laughs> so anyway, the $9 was went right out the window, though, because almost immediately after it was installed, while Detective Tazi was in the house, a porcelain figure in the living room lifted off a table, flew 12 feet, and smashed against a desk, desk leaving a dent in the wood. Okay, I just want to be clear. It's not a gust of wind if it's flying 12 feet. Well, I mean, the... Helen Connolly said her chairs were flying clean across her room. Yeah, I think Helen's in the hooch, you know what I mean? Hey, hey excuse me, Detective Tazi interviewed her and found her to be very reasonable. Yeah, she caught, caught her in the morning, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so a downdraft didn't appear to be the issue. Instead, it appeared Popper was putting on a show since local media were at the house broadcasting to television audiences all over New York. Hmm. So it was after the chimney cap went on, they're like, this will solve all of the problems. Nothing will ever happen again. And then Popper was like, oh, yeah. Yeet. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first um, time anything like supernatural like that was ever being like broadcast on television. Oh. So people in New York were just like watching like, holy fuck, we saw that real time. A porcelain figurine just yeeted across the room. That's awesome. Right? TV history, too. Yeah, I feel like you've been reading my notes. Because <laughs> you're like, whatever you said about TV. And I was like, don't even worry, man. It's TV coming in at you. Coming in at you. Coming in. We're coming in. That was for you. Thanks. Pumpkin pie. <laughs> the house wasn't only crowded with reporters, photographers, and radio and television men. On February 18th, the day after the house was blessed... One of the men wandering around the house was a, quote, dignified gentleman in a blue serge suit who suddenly threw himself to his knees in the dining room, cried that he was a, quote, holy man from center Moriches, and then prayed for 10 minutes. After his prayers. This guy sounds like a scam artist. <laughs> well, after his prayers, he got up, left the house saying, everything is all right. You have been forgiven. Then he got in his car and he drove off. <laughs> All right, well, you heard it here. Then I was Googling, what the fuck is center, center Moriches? Because I'm like, is that a big deal? Like, are you, is that a holy thing? And it's just a suburb in New York City. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what that dude's problem was. He was just, yeah, putting a show on. Yeah. Another visitor at the house during the height of the disturbances was a physicist named Robert Zider. So using wooden dousing rods, Robert Zider announced that there was a stream of water beneath the house and that these could have been the root of the trouble that was happening. And the Hermans and Detective Tazi thanked him for his opinion and sent him on his way. Uh, are the dousing rods the fucking tree branch stick? Like the cross sticks? So I was just going to say, if you want to know what dousing rods are... Listen to episode 66, The Ill-Fated Lovers, because I went into in-depth about dousing rods. And yeah, they're like two sticks you hold in your hands. They move based on whatever's below you in the earth. 
That's a allegedly layman's term. Well, they did help find. Listen to episode 66. <laughs> <laughs> Detective Tazi pursued his investigation with patience, carefully considering every suggestion that came by letter or telephone. Sonic booms from passing aircraft were ruled out after the Air Force checked its flight records. Radio waves were ruled out, ruled out after the Radio Corporation of America checked the radio frequency spectrum, but found no unusual signals. Underground vibrations were ruled out after the Long Island Lighting Company set up an oscilloscope in the cellar, but it recorded nothing extraordinary. Building inspectors from the town of Hempstead pronounced the house structurally sound. The Seaford Fire Department even inspected a well on the property to see if changes in water level could be causing the disturbances, but they just found that the water level had been stable for at least five years. Humidity, geological surveys, downdraft from overhead jets, a freak magnetic field. All of this was ruled out. So, Detective Tazi was doing his work. He was like, Okay, we'll find an answer. But whatever was happening to them could not be explained with logic. Hmm. On the evening of February 20th, the occurrences resumed with increased violence. While Mr. Herman was organizing his books in the living room, a bottle of ink loudly popped its screw top, flew across the dining room, and smashed against the wall, which would be extra annoying because it's ink. Yeah, it's fucking ink. Another porcelain figurine sailed across the living room and smashed against the desk. Take the hint about the figurines. Yeah, like we don't like the porcelain figurines. No, it clearly does not. Like even wagged it around. Like this is tacky. This thing is ugly. Yeet. Yeah. <laughs> and then it did break and it was like fuck. <laughs> now it did. Now it smashed it against the desk. There you go. This thing's ugly. <laughs> A heavy sugar bowl flew off the dining room table, but did not break. Detective Tazi observed the sugar bowl during its flight and noted that no one had been close enough to its takeoff point to have thrown it. James had been seated at the table, but not within reaching distance of the bowl. The barrage of activity was becoming too much for the Hermans, so late on the evening of February 21st, they evacuated the house and went to visit a relative. During their absence, nothing unusual took place in their house, or in the relative's house. But on the evening of the 23rd, soon after they had returned home, the sugar bowl flew off the dining room table again, and this time it smashed everywhere. The things this ghost is destroying just makes me think it's the gay kid from School of Rock. <laughs> just saying, you're tacky and I hate you. And then it just tosses a sugar bowl. Fuck your sugar bowl. Fuck your porcelain figurine. <laughs> fuck this ugly ink bottle. This shampoo is bad for you. <laughs> the shampoo is making your hair flat. <laughs> <laughs> By this point, the Hermans were receiving about 25 letters a day. As the lead detective, Tazi would handle the mail, opening and studying each letter. Several of the letters were from, quote, obvious crackpots. For example, some letters told the Hermans that they were being visited by Martians, that a long-dead Native American chief was haunting the house, or that the Russians were tunneling under Long Island to invade New York. Hmm. <laughs> Some condemned the Hermans for their sins and suggested that they had invited these tricks of Satan. Even well, those people can fuck off. Yeah, even though they're literally devout. Yeah, I was going to make fun of the Martian Catholics. ones, but you know what? Those people specifically can <laughs> fuck right off. Yeah, it's fucking rude. Yeah. Several letter writers assumed that since something seemingly supernatural was taking place, maybe the Hermans themselves had answers. So one of these letters said, quote, I've had 43 fires in my place of business in one night. Can you tell me the reason? 
Another said, quote, I too have had the same trouble, especially with Canadian whiskey corks. But when I purchased it in Washington, D.C., the same thing happened. What is causing it? Well, whiskey corks, though. <laughs> I mean, like that one actually does ferment, sort of. I yeah. can see that popping. Tazi said the majority of correspondents were people of goodwill. They were giving legitimate explanations to be investigated. But there was also some people with like like the crazy people or people with selfish motives. Mm-hmm. Like one persking. Persking? Nope. That was a person and asking combination. Mm. Like one person asking if the Hermans might consider selling their house for $37.50. Wow. <laughs> How much do you think $37.50 is? Oh, um, $400. Yeah. Yeah. It's $398.39. I used the $9 reference <laughs> that you gave me. <laughs> So if a few saw the opportunity for making money, dear Hermans, have you considered opening your weird house to the public and charging admission? They're like, wow. number one, you're rude. It's not weird. It's just unexplained. Number two, it's pretty much open to the public. Yeah. People are there every day, but the Hermans weren't charging anyone because they wanted people to stop to stop in. They wanted them to check things out because they wanted to hear people's thoughts about what was happening so they could hear ideas on how to fix it. Because mm-hmm. they're like, this is fucking wild. Yeah. Alongside the many visitors and letters, the family would receive up to 75 phone calls a day. Most callers were reasonably considerate. The Hermans said that they could usually count on sleeping from 1230 a.m. to 6 a.m. without being awakened. But some people would call in the middle of the night just to scream, repent! Or talk about how the Sputniks are causing it. <laughs> Sputniks. I was like, that's so random. So of course I looked it up. Yeah. And the first Sputnik was um the first artificial Earth satellite, and it was launched into orbit by the Soviet Union on October fourth, nineteen fifty seven. So just a few months prior. Yeah. So that's why Makes people sense. are yelling, the Sputniks are causing it. <laughs> that <laughs> low Earth orbit. Well, ghoul satellite. <laughs> the Sputniks are causing it, and Russia is tunneling underneath you. And also, like, aliens, but specifically Martians. Martians, though. Martians. Martians sounds like a very 50s thing. Yeah, they really did like the Martians. Martians. Yeah. On February 24th, Detective Tazi was startled to his feet by the sound of a loud noise from James's room. No one had been in their room, yet a large bookcase had managed to fall face down onto the floor. On February 25th at 7.30 in the morning, when the Herman's bedroom was unoccupied, an 18-inch statue of the Virgin Mary flew about 12 feet from a bureau top to the opposite wall, striking the frame of a large mirror but not breaking the glass. The statue, which was made of plaster, deeply dented the wooden mirror frame, but the statue itself was only slightly damaged. Hmm. Also, an 18-inch Virgin Mary statue in your bedroom? Yeah. 18 inches? Yeah. That's really tall. Yeah. I, I think they know they exactly the one they have. Yeah, I bet they sure slept in separate beds. One. It's like, I bet they slept in separate beds. Oh, yeah. You know how, like, in the 50s, it's totally, like, two single beds next to each other? Yep. I bet that's what it was. <laughs> the, the really devout Christians do that, too. Yeah. Look, leave him for Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun. It's just easy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so later that day, when James was doing his homework alone in the basement playroom, a 10-pound record player took off from its table and sailed 15 feet across the room. Oh, that's expensive. <laughs> the thing that's weird, though, is that a lot of stuff doesn't really break. Yeah, I've noticed that, too. Because this thing didn't seem to break. No, it's just tossed. Heated. Like, it's, it's thrown fucking far, and they're heavy objects. you think it would break. Like, I can, t I can pick up that fucking record player right here don't and toss it and like that fucker will break it will break yeah and then the neighbor will get mad below us oh god and then he comes up and he's like can you stop tossing what sounds like a record player <laughs> 15 feet across the room to see if it would break <laughs> have we said this before on the podcast i don't think so no very quickly for reference christmas last year i had all of my siblings over we were playing a game that involved dice we were rolling it on the apartment floor and the curfew for noise in my building is 10 p.m and it was like 10:01, and he came storming up the stairs banging on the apartment door and when i opened it he went can you please stop what sounds like dice rolling dice on the ground and i literally <laughs> just went okay <laughs> and i stopped yeah yeah because I don't want to get kicked out of this building, you know? Yeah. But it was really annoying. Can you please stop what sounds like rolling dice? You knew exactly what it was. And like, bro, you have a hair trigger. It's 10.01 <laughs> and it's Christmas. Mm -hmm. Go suck a fuck. Okay. <laughs> Later that day. Oh, oh, I'll just read it again as a recap. Later that day, when James was doing his homework alone in the basement playroom, a 10-pound record player yeeted itself across the room 15 feet. So this occurrence was promptly published in newspapers in an article titled The Case of the High Fly. And it was this article that caused suspicion to be focused on James. Do you get it? High Fly. Instead of High Fi. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually great. <laughs> yep. I do love that. Me too. I was actually going to, I was thinking of, should I name this article, this article, this episode, The Case of the High Fly? And I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But it's still sick. It's so good. You want to. But yeah, this caused suspicion to be focused on James. And this article talked about the fact that he had been on the scene or very close to the scene during most of the incidents. And for a lot of them, he had been the sole witness. Because James was this bright kid, he's an honor student, he loves science, he reads a ton of science fiction. Reporters, you know, pinned the blame on James saying <laughs> that they solved the case because he's the one responsible for creating a hoax essentially so, so they're blaming james as well yeah <laughs> poor kid i know but then there's those close to the case like the family and detective tazi and they were very open in saying that that was totally unfair because they had all been in the house to witness one thing or the other mm -hmm. and they're witnessing the occurrences and this reporter's opinion is pretty much baseless they're just saying well this kid likes science so this kid did it yeah. Plus, Detective Tazi is in the house with these kids all the time, and he had basically cleared the boy of deliberately causing any of the disturbances. Mm -hmm. For And it's because there's, like, some examples that's, like, impossible. Um, this one example is at one point, Tazi had been walking down the basement stairs with James when a bronze horse statue weighing nearly 100 pounds flew across the basement and hit the detective in the legs. Yeah, so, like, the kid didn't do that. No, James had not been near that statue. No one else was in the basement when it came hurling at them. And also, he's a 13-year-old boy. He's not hurt, like, a shot-putting, 100-pound statue. They're giving him, like, they're they're blaming him, but they're also, like, 
complimenting him in a way because this would be have to be one of the smartest 13 year olds in the fucking world yeah, like, to be able to convincingly pull this off like how would you do that yeah like did by an elaborate David... series of ropes and pulleys he launched this statue at the officer's shins well no one saw any of the ropes and pulleys in this small house yeah it's not a big house it's small yeah and it's like did david blaine study under him because <laughs> this is the <laughs> most amazing sleight of hand in the world the way we caught him was he kept just turning to the officer before anything happened and just said street magic <laughs> <laughs> tozzy had become concerned about the violence and the disruptions a bookcase filled with encyclopedias was upended. A heavy glass centerpiece from the dining room table flew up and struck a cupboard, chipping away a piece of molding before falling to the floor. A world globe shot down the hallway from James's room and just missed Detective Tozzi. A newspaper photographer named John Gold from the London Evening News witnessed his flashbulbs lift off a table and fly through the air and strike a wall. He was probably pissed. Yeah. Like, Are you goddamn kidding me? Oh, I guess pops? I'm done shooting now. In addition, Popper had begun knocking on the walls to get attention, although attempts to communicate with Popper don't seem to have been made at all. Maybe they didn't know how to go about mm. that, but... If it's knocking on the wall, you knock back. That's how you communicate. Yeah. Right off the bat. You just meet them where they are, man. Knock twice for yes and three times for no. Yeah. <laughs> popper are you a ghost it's also mean because they called him popper and popper used to mean poor uh, i guess yeah but it's popper like p-o-p-p-e-r oh okay like, yeah because yeah. everything's popping so yeah. popper yeah not like prince and the popper you nerd <laughs> <laughs> it's not wishbone's great debut uh-huh. <laughs> in the beginning the activity had been limited to popping bottle tops but things were obviously getting more and more aggressive. Yeah. Tazi had explored every possible explanation that he could come up with. And while he was not prepared to say the house was haunted, he was all out of ideas. When the disturbances were at their height in mid-February, Dr. J.B. Rhines, parapsychology laboratory at Duke University in North Carolina, was following the newspaper articles. Very, very well done. <laughs> <laughs> this whole laboratory was very interested in this story, basically. Yeah. In 1958, Dr. J.B. Ryan was a reputable scientist, and for the past 30 years, he had accumulated a, quote, substantial body of sound scientific evidence that points to the conclusion that some people under some conditions can influence the behavior of matter without touching it, unquote. And this is called psychokinesis. That's a hell of a thing to be. Yeah, over 30 years study studying. Yeah, and to make the claim. Oh, like, yeah. as an academic? As an academic. They got a parapsychology laboratory, man. They got a whole ass university. <laughs> a laboratory at a university. While some letter writers and researchers believed that the incidents in the Herman House were being caused by a poltergeist, Dr. Ryan's assistant, Dr. J. Gaither Pratt, believed that someone in the house was unknowingly causing the strange incidents to occur via psychokinesis which poltergeists get blamed for by mistake a lot of the time. 
As a refresher, a poltergeist means noisy spirit, and they traditionally target religious items like holy water or statues of the Virgin Mary. But if you want to hear more about poltergeists, go and listen to episode 55, Specters of Cerncy, or Cerncy Specters, I don't remember what I named it. This whole episode has been me plugging other episodes. Yep. <laughs> episode four, The Bedroom Strangler, episode 66, The Ill-Fated Lovers. I can't believe you fucking remember the number and names. Yeah, th- the names I usually know, sort of, because in my notes versus what we actually name it, sometimes it's different. Mm-hmm. But it's Specters of Cerency or Cerency Specters, and it's about uh, Specters. Pratt, <laughs> Dr. Pratt was a, quote, sober scientist who would not think of using the word ghost in polite conversation, unquote. Instead, Dr. Pratt was part of a group of researchers at the university who had compiled a mass of evidence that supported the idea that certain people under the right circumstances could influence the behavior of objects without touching them. And he has never seen objects move as a result of mental power, but he does believe that the mind may influence matter. And this is known as psychokinesis. For example, he said once, quote, It is within the realm of possibility that if 8 million New Yorkers at one time concentrated on moving the Empire State Building, it might move a bit. Where is he coming? It's entirely po- He's just Joe Roganing it. Yeah, he is. It's entirely possible. And it's like based on what? The fact that we haven't proven it's not possible? Uh, pretty much. Okay. As the disturbances at the home continued, Pratt decided that it might be worthwhile to make a trip from North Carolina to New York to investigate the Herman House, and so he arrived on February 26th. The Hermans received him as they received all of their guests, very politely, and if Dr. Pratt could suggest an explanation, then the Hermans would be grateful for it. In regard to the poltergeists, it's common for poltergeist activity to take place in households with teenagers at the height of puberty, and it's been speculated that some children at some time may have psychokinetic power that they're unaware of. So James and Lucille were 12 and 13 years old, so they fit into that criterion of being um, the height of puberty. (laughs) When Dr. Pratt arrived at the Herman house, he didn't come right out and say any of this. He said that he had just come as an observer with an open mind. But since he was interested in the mind and the potential of psychokinesis to be taking place, and the fact that a lot of the occurrences were happening around James, he spent most of his time at James's company playing games, cards, helping him with his homework, all of that stuff. James, run. James, run. (laughs) Run. Not long after his arrival, Pratt and James sat at a table in the basement playroom where James had been sitting when that record player flew across the room, and they played a board game called Careers, but Dr. Pratt was busy looking over James' shoulder at the record player and other loose objects around the room, just hoping that he would see one of them move or fly about, Mm -hmm. but they didn't. Mm. Pratt then summoned another colleague from North Carolina, William G. Roll. And together they interviewed the family members and they were convinced that none of them were perpetrating a hoax. Pratt told the reporter, quote, the family was much too shaken for it to be a colossal hoax, unquote. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they've probably seen so much crap at this point. Mm -hmm. They're just like, God, my nerves, they're just shot. Whatever Dr. Pratt may have hoped, the fact is that nothing unusual took place during his stay, as though Popper didn't want to perform for the scientists. I was going to say, he's kind of coming in with, like, a clear motive, and he just wants to justify his 30 years of research. 
Well, yeah, this is the assistant to that guy who did the 30 years of research. Mm-hmm. And they're all working under that same like thesis, basically, though, mm-hmm. because it's in that laboratory. Yeah. So, yeah, he definitely does want to prove that if 8 million people stared at the Empire State Building, it could move. Yeah, and also prove that it's not a poltergeist, which if you're a poltergeist... Then you'd be like, well, I'm not going to help you at all. Yeah, you know what? It's a real boring day today, isn't it? (laughs) And tomorrow and the next day, doctor. (laughs) 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 On February 28th, Pratt returned to North Carolina, having decided that nothing unusual was likely to happen in the immediate future because the psychological atmosphere was off. You know, there was just too much outside activity happening. I hate this guy. There's too many reporters, phone calls. There's too much nervous rushing about. Oh, yeah. All the the noise and... And dramatics really stopped it before. Exactly. It literally threw a porcelain figure on TV. Yeah, they were getting phone calls up until midnight till 6 a.m. And shit was still going down. This poltergeist or popper, whoever, just was like, I don't like you. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Pratt was somewhat right, whether it was because the psychological atmosphere was off or not. But nothing had happened from February 26th to March 1st. And the Herman and Detective Tazi had... The Herman? The Hermans <laughs> and Detective Tazi had begun to think that their troubles were over. It had been quiet for like four days now. But on the evening of March 2nd, after a relatively quiet as- atmosphere had returned, the disturbances started up again. At about 10 p.m., when all of the Hermans were in the house, a dish crashed to the floor in the dining room. Then a table fell over in James's room. In neither case did it appear that James had been close enough to the objects to have moved them deliberately. Popper was back, but no one was any closer to figuring out who or what Popper was. On March 4th, a bowl of flowers flew off the dining room table and a bookcase turned end over end in the cellar. I hate... I hate the statement, we don't know who or what Popper is. <laughs> we don't. Because I don't like the idea that Popper's a what. Well, yeah. we don't know what it is or who they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, there was no explanation. And after hearing Popper had returned, Pratt and Roll went back to the Herman house on March 7th. So that's the parapsychologists. On March 10th, Mr. Herman was away on business, and while Mrs. Herman, James, and Lucille were getting ready for bed, Pratt and Roll heard a sudden, loud popping sound in the cellar, and they hurried downstairs to see what it was. They found that a bleach bottle sitting in a cardboard box had somehow lost its plastic lid and just popped it off. Again with the bleach. (sighs) It's like, here, scientists, drink bleach. (laughs) For some unknown reason, this is the last act of Popper popping off this bleach lid on March 10th. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, rip popper. So between February 3rd and March 10th of 1958, 67 disturbances were recorded. The Hermans had been visited by detectives, building inspectors, electricians, plumbers, firemen, parapsychologists, and countless other people. Yet none of them had ever been able to present a satisfactory explanation for what had occurred in their house this is actually just the world's most elaborate scheme to get a thorough home inspection (laughs) (laughs) i mean no one knows so maybe Hmm? um and remember this house was built in 1953 and it's 1958 so it's not like it's a really old house yeah that's the weird house 
So it is just so strange. Weeks after the household returned to normal, experts still came to investigate and to theorize about what had taken place. As late as August 1958, the scientists at Duke University still had no clue as to what had happened and why. By this time, the Hermans had just about enough of the investigations, and there wasn't any more disturbances, so they just wanted their lives to go back to normal. Hmm. Mr. Herman no longer cared why the disturbances had taken place. He was pretty much just happy that they were over. Mrs. Herman told an Associated Press reporter, quote, I don't think there is a definitive solution. It was just one of those things with no rhyme or reason to it, but there was a definite physical force behind it. Yeah. It would drive me insane though, as much as I'd be like, thank God it it's like stopped. I would be like, but what was paranoid it of like, is it going to start again? Yeah. Could it start again? Like maybe it's done for now. And then like all of a sudden three years later, like someone would, someone in the other room would accidentally like drop a bottle and like, give ptsd to all all the people they can't go out on new year's eve oh because all those popping bottles would just be like yeah popper (laughs) so that's basically where the family left it they left it at that there's no there's no reason we're done trying to find it and they never really talked about it again what the fuck lucille the daughter talked a little bit about it but not until years later like when her own children were adults probably when she was like i know that i'm not gonna start up a media circus again yeah well i guess yeah in an interview she described the events as quote my own nightmare and told the interviewer she nor her children had ever seen the movie based on the events because she said quote explaining it is very difficult the movie yeah what you, you can play coy if you want to. I'm not going to play coy. No, it's Poltergeist. Yes. I fucking love that movie. It's the 1982 movie Poltergeist that this story, the, the Herman haunting, the popper, the Poltergeist story, whatever, inspired the screenplay for Poltergeist from 1982. Oh, it's fucking awesome. I picked up on it so early, by the way, guys, like right away. She doesn't tell me what these things are. No, I don't. Until like she probably like saw it and was like, yeah, are you reading my notes? I'm like, no. Is it Poltergeist though? <laughs> yeah. Well, ask if you're reading my notes way later because you kept predicting stuff. But yeah. it was during one of the times you were putting music in and you were like, I don't even remember what you said. And then you went, is this what Poltergeist, Poltergeist is based on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is. So that is why maybe lucille finally was talking about it because they were probably like hey it's been like what would that be like 24 years maybe yeah since that happened like do you have anything to say about it 34 i don't know i'm not good at math it was a long time yeah do you have anything to say like are you gonna watch it and she was basically saying like i lived it it felt like my own nightmare. I don't want to watch it. I don't really want my kids to watch it because explaining it's very difficult. We still don't know what happened. But like, great for yeah. On imagine you showing for making your kids a movie. That. They probably think like Jesus Christ, like you did live in a haunted house. So, uh, I think most people have seen Poltergeist, but mm-hmm. 
the premise of the movie is that a young, happy family moves into a new suburban home with their children and quickly notice disturbances. There's noises, bent utensils, objects moving about, and when the activity increases, they seek help from a local university's parapsychology department who come to investigate the house. Eventually, they're fed up with the lack of resolution and the disappearance of their daughter. They seek out a psychic who helps them cleanse the house. Mm-hmm. So... Some aspects of the movie are obviously more sensationalized than the story of the Hermans. Oh, very much so. Yes. There are, in the movie, Poltergeist, there's physical apparitions, there's creepy porcelain clowns that come to life, there's a Native American burial ground, body chomping portals, killer trees, skeletons popping out of the swimming pool. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. It is a good movie. Yeah. So... Obviously, there's those creative liberties because... And even even those, though, were, like, still kind of taken from, like, like the, oh, you're haunted by a... Um, Old Native American chief. Yeah, or... Um, what was I going to say earlier, though? Like, even, even talking about, like, oh, the weird frequencies may have something to do with this, and they had, like, the static through the TV as a portal. Mm-hmm. And you've got, I mean, obviously, the porcelain doll and the clown is one. But. Yeah, the porcelain clown um, and the creepy tree were two particular examples that were taken from Steven Spielberg's childhood. Mm. So, because it was written by Steven Spielberg. It still fits, though. Yeah. Like the, the porcelain cl- doll versus like, well, not porcelain doll, the por- porcelain figurines versus the dolls. Very close. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, definitely a little different but if you're you know making a movie and a lot of the times movies do that based on a real story a true event whatever and you kind of sensationalize it just because it is going to be like it's hollywood yeah so you wouldn't have gotten poltergeist if you didn't do that exactly which is like a modern horror classic yeah so um i mean what really happened at the herman house was it an elaborate hoax? Was it a poltergeist? Was it some other type of unseen force? Whatever the answer, Popper is just as puzzling today as they or it was in 1958. And with that, I conclude the Herman family haunting, a.k.a. Popper, Popper the poltergeist and whatever <laughs> you want to call it. it. And that's that. I loved it. Now I know. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I should lead with being like, this is what inspired Poltergeist. But as I was researching it, I'm like, well, if I was only reading about the Herman haunting or the popper of the Poltergeist, I would not initially think it was Poltergeist mm. because I haven't seen Poltergeist 900 times. But I was like, I'll just save it for the end. Mm-hmm. So then I can let this story be what it is this is something that truly happened to a family mm-hmm. so tell that story and then yeah it's the it from confusing it too because like you think you're gonna keep hearing about like something to do with like a tree fucking eating someone or something it's yeah like, no that was hollywood and we're not here to talk about hollywood okay yeah that's what where my, where my thought process was so yeah. glad you agree and mm-hmm. i did that for you because you really wanted a haunted place and poltergeist is one of your favorite movies so yeah. thank you i loved it yeah welcome yeah and thank you, people of of listeners. For, people of listeners for voting on Instagram for yeah. haunted places. Yeah. Um, next week's episode will be a classic true crime case, again dictated by people who voted on Instagram. And also, it's like partially a true crime podcast, so we're gonna do that. Mm-hmm. And 
it will be it's October spooky season scary season so it'll probably be something a lot more like dark or gruesome um then after that will be another haunted place so if you listening have a specific haunted place or tale or whatever that you want me to do you can send that as a suggestion because I'm still kind of teetering on what exactly I want to do so if you have something that's really good that will help make up my mind that would be great and also if you have theories about what popper is or was you yeah. let us know let us know is it a labrick hoax and how you have to you have to say how if you say it's an elaborate hoax you have to fucking give me receipts i want receipts yeah i want schematics as to what the flying fuck you think was the hoax here or if it was a little little, little ghoul i think it was a poltergeist so sounds like a poltergeist you guys are like just skipping on poltergeist which is the coolest option popper yeah. the poltergeist what yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or it could have been the psychokinesis. I mean, it maybe it was just really intense puberty on James's part. <laughs> Imagine. I don't know why. Reason for debunking a haunting. Puberty, intense man. Puberty. <laughs> <laughs> this house is so haunted thanks to my intense puberty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going. I any don't further. know, man. It could be anything. That's why we don't know. <laughs> right. Right. I'm done. <laughs> You can send case suggestions, whatever, on Instagram. There will also be photos on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is Dark Adaptation Podcast. Uh, buy us a coffee, buy a patch, rate the show, all of that. The links are in the show notes wherever you're listening for your pleasure. Click them all if you want. I'm tired. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye-bye.